So I figured today that we would, um, you know, we, of course, looked at that, that first parable in the fourth chapter. Uh, last time we, we talked about how it's commonly called the parable of the sower, but probably more accurately, uh, the parable of the seed and the soil. And uh, we called it the, the seed, the gospel seed. And so I wanted to finish up this section by looking at these parables, because all of this is connected. Um, these are not just, you know, disconnected thoughts here. There, there's a, uh, Jesus is um, laying out a teaching here about the seed that goes beyond the parable that we just look at. I, I pointed out to us that uh, Mark, of course, Mark is, is more brief in many ways than, than Matthew and Luke and considerably different than John. And Mark, um, as far as the parables go, you'll find more parables in Matthew and Luke. Mark has the, the fewest number of parables, about eight, and they're all contained right here. So we're just going to basically walk through the verses we read and just tie together everything to what Jesus previously said and uh, hopefully take away today what... Uh, what the, the big picture message is that the Lord has for us. So in verse 21, he said to them, now remember, he just finishes the, um, the previous parable uh, talking about the various, you know, the seed falling on the various types of ground. And so then he said to them, is a lamb brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Uh, is it not to be set on a lampstand? Some people think that Jesus just goes off on a completely different topic here. No, he's not. He's, he's still on the same subject. Well, why does he bring in the lamp and the lampstand? What does that have to do with the seed? Um, why he brings this in is because what he's telling us is that the message that was contained in the first parable, the message about the seed being God's word and finding its place in people's heart, uh, God's intention is that people receive it, people understand it, people uh, apply it, and, and people are blessed by it. God, God didn't send Jesus to, to scatter the seed or to spread the word, nor does he send people out to do that um, so that it can remain obscured or hidden. No, just like a lamp is brought in order to bring everything to light, so Jesus is saying that, that he's come and the word has come to, to bring us understanding. And God's intention is that we understand. So he, he in a sense, you know, wants us to know that, that God is not seeking to hide truth from us. He wants to reveal truth to us. But the problem is often on our end. And that's why he says then, he says, if anyone has ears let them hear. You see, the key is hearing. God has brought us the word uh, concerning the kingdom, but we have the need to listen. And as we're going to see here in just a second, uh, to, to listen attentively. So then he goes on. He said to them, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. So, so again, he said, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. And then he said, take heed 
or consider what you hear. You see, this is the thing that Jesus is wanting to get across to us. These, these are God's truths. These are eternal truths. For us to have a casual, um, you know, sort of slightly disinterested attitude in them, uh, that's not going to benefit us. That's not going to do what God intended uh, to be done through his word. We have to consider God's word. We have to take and we have to um, invest our time in it and put forth our effort to really seek to understand it. And, you know, think about it. If this really is what we believe it to be, if this really is God's word, if this is really the revelation that has come down to us that tells us about ultimate reality, then we would be absolutely foolish to not invest ourselves entirely in this, right? So yesterday I was, um, I mentioned to you that uh, my nephew passed away uh, a, a few weeks back. And so we had his memorial service yesterday up in Northern California. And as we were gathered there and I, I chose not to officiate the, the, you know, the ceremony, but the local pastor of the church where my sister attends, um, he was the one who officiated. And as he was there speaking and as he, you know, he was laying out basically the, you know, just the facts of the gospel at, at a certain point, he said this and I thought, you know, he's absolutely right. Uh, you know, after kind of laying out the gospel and explaining what happens after death and all of that, he said, you know, if these things are true, then we need to, if we haven't done this yet, we need to set everything else aside and we need to really uh, pay attention to this. And I thought, yes, indeed, that is, that is what we do. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. He says to take heed or consider what you hear. And in Luke's gospel, the same uh, parable, uh, Luke has just a slightly different twist on it. And it, rather than take heed what you hear, take heed how you hear. But, but it's the same idea. But I think Luke even uh, gives us a little more insight. Take heed how you hear. How do you hear? You know how it is that, um, <laughs> do you ever have that experience? I, I'm sure you did. And I had it like five times yesterday. I'm talking to somebody and I'm listening to them, but then somebody over there is saying something that I'm trying to hear too. And so I'm really not even hearing either one of them. You know, I'm looking at this person and their lips are moving and they're telling me something, but I'm so trying to hear what's going on over there. It's like, I'm not hearing anything. And we can be like that when it comes to the word of God, Right. We're, we're so preoccupied with other voices or other things that are going on. You know, we're not paying attention. And that's what Jesus says. Take heed or pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to how you hear. Are you really hearing this? And like I said, if this is really God's word, I believe it's God's word. I think many of you do too. Um, then man, we're gonna want to give the most attention to it because... Notice the next thing he says, with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. With the same measure you use. What does this mean? It means 
that our understanding and retention and benefit from God's word will, um, it's dependent on what we do with what we hear. So with the same measure we hear, it's going to be measured back to us. So if I am not really paying attention and then I wonder, how come the word doesn't seem to be impacting me? How come it doesn't seem to be profiting me? You know, some people say, well, you know, I read the Bible, but it doesn't really do anything for me. The question is, what measure are you using? Because it's going to be measured back to you. So in other words, if you are coming at the scripture with, a, a, you know, a sort of just a got to get through this, got to get my Bible reading in and because I got a lot of other things going on. And if you're coming at it like that, you're not going to get much out of it. That's what it's telling us. But if you're coming at it and saying, man, this is God's word. And even if I only get to read two or three verses today, this is God's word. So I want to zero in on what he's saying. And I want to walk away and think about what he's saying. That then is going to be measured back to us. So in other words, the more we look at it with intention of really growing, the more God is going to give us understanding and insight. So in a sense, we determine how deep we're going to go in the truth of God. And so with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And that, that is, a, on the, you know, on the one side, it's kind of a, you know, a little bit of a corrective. But on the other side, it's a great promise. It's, it's really like God's just saying, you know what? I'll take you as deep as you want to go. I'll give you as much as you want to have. I, I'm not going to force you beyond what you want. But if you want to just go really deep, the Lord's like, here I am. Let's go. And of course, we know that's God's desire for us. And so that's what Jesus is telling us here. And, and to you who hear, more will be given. So for those who, who take God's word seriously, we can expect that God is going to continue to give us understanding of his word. But then he says this, for whoever has to him more will be given, but whoever does not have even what they have will be taken away from them. One of the other gospels clarifies even what they seem to have will be taken. Now think of the group that Jesus is talking to. There's basically three different types of people here. There's the disciples. They're the followers of Jesus. So they're the ones that have, and Jesus says more is going to be given to you. But then there's another group that's kind of like, you know, they're interested, but they're not like super interested. They're interested in some things. They're, they're really interested in the miracle part. You know, a lot of people follow Jesus because he did miracles. And I'm sure some of them, every time Jesus said, hey, let's sit down and take a couple hours. I want to teach you. Some of them were like, oh, not another teaching. Come on, where's the miracles? I'm hungry. I heard that Jesus could make like lots of bread and stuff. Why isn't that going to happen? You know, there are people like that today. There are people who, they follow after a show. And they want to go where the action is. And they have little tolerance for the truth of God's word. So they're, they're, they just, you know, they, they're not going to get much. But then there's one more group of people here. 
there are the religious leaders. Now, here's the thing. These guys seemed to have it down. They seem to have, they've got it. Man, these guys knew the scriptures. These guys, they spent their life studying the scriptures. So surely they, you know, they're going to be the ones that are blessed because, man, they have, they have been so meticulous. Did you know that in certain rabbinic circles, one of the ways that a, a rabbi is tested or a, a student is tested in, in their, you know, as they're progressing toward being a rabbi, one of the ways they're tested is by taking a, a text of scripture and they would then drive a nail through the text of Scripture. Like if, if you just closed your Bible and you hammered a nail in it. And of course, if you did that, it, as it went through the pages, it would take letters. And in some cases, it would take words out, right? One of the ways they're tested is they do that to Scripture. They open up and the student has to tell you every letter that's missing or in some cases, every word that's missing. So that's how thoroughly these guys get to know the word from a technical standpoint. Jesus even said in his day, he said, you search the scriptures, you think in them you have eternal life. But the reality is they, they testify of me. So there's that group, and what's the point? They seem to have it all. But the truth is they have nothing because they reject the author. They got the book, but they reject the author. And so Jesus is saying to, to the one who has, to the one who's embraced him and has faith, more is going to be given. But to those who do not have, even what they seem to have will be taken away. So those who do not have faith is what that would refer to there. Now, next he goes on and he tells us a little bit more about the kingdom. The kingdom, of, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So you see here, he's still dealing with the seed. Now, what is, what is the point here? The, the point that Jesus is making right here is that we have a responsibility and God has a responsibility. And we can look at it in that sense. And, and what he's showing us here is, you know, our responsibility is fairly simple and it's just to scatter the seed. That's what we do. God's the one who makes it grow. God's the one who makes things happen. And, and just as the farmer, the farmer just goes out and he scatters the seed. And he is dependent now on something that he really doesn't have any control over. And so it grows. He does not know how. And, you know, that is true when it comes to the ministry. And sometimes, though, what we think, it, it, sometimes we think, if I can't figure out how, 
it works. I'm not going to do it. So, so, I mean, some people even would say, well, you know, why bother doing that? That's not going to do anything. I don't, I don't get how that's going to do anything. I don't really get how just, you know, faithfully teaching through the Bible, what's that going to do? We've got so many other things. We've got so many problems in the world. You know, there are people, to, right this moment, there would be people who would listen to me and see us and think, what are you guys doing? Don't you know the state's on fire? What are you doing there talking about this? What, what good is this going to do? That's what they would say. Because to them, it doesn't seem like, you know, what are we doing here? Well, here's what we're doing here. We're just scattering the seed out there. We're, we're planting more seeds. What's it going to do? Where's it going to go? To what extent is there going to be an impact? And how is it all going to happen? I don't know. But I know it does happen because I've lived long enough to see it happen many, many times over. And what Jesus is reminding us here of is just the simple fact that we are involved in something that is supernatural. We're involved in something that is unexplainable, really, from, from the human standpoint. We're involved in something that God's doing. There's a, there's a miraculous component to all of this. And one of the things that is, you know, kind of here, and it certainly could, could be applied in this way for people like myself and other people who are pastoring and teaching, you know, one of the big temptations is try, to try to figure out some method or some formula to make it all work. And in doing that, and, you know, sometimes it's, it's, I'm not saying that we should never have a method or a formula, but, but sometimes we put so much emphasis on that, we forget that there is this supernatural element that we do not know how it happens. And sometimes we mistakenly look at the, the method and we think, well, that's how it happened. We did that method and this is the result we got. No, that's not how it happened. He, we don't know how it happened. God did it. That's how it happened. I saw this thing on social media this morning that I had no intention of including in this message, but it fit perfectly. It was a, uh, it was a little video on Instagram or something. And, um, and it was a guy. There were, two, there were two people in this little video. And one was very prominent front and center. The other one was in the background. So in the, the front and center place was a young guy, probably, you know, 20s, 30s, super built, you know, perfect specimen of a man and, you know, muscle shirt and muscles. And he's got this, this apparatus set up where he's going to go up and he's going to do some gymnastics. He's going to do like an L and then he's going to go up and do a handstand and all that. And, and, you know, and it's all right there in front of you. And then just over to the side, you see this man who you only see the back of him. And by, by looking at the back of him, he looks like he's about 75 years old. And this is all happening in a gym, so this man is shooting baskets. He's standing there at the free throw line, and he's shooting baskets, and he's sinking every one of them. And the caption read, <laughs> the guy in the front is the pastor who's going to reach the big city, and the guy in the background is the rural faithful pastor. And I thought, wow, there's so much truth to that, you know, because it's like, man, we're going to take this city for Jesus and check me out, man, I'm looking so good and watch what I can do and we're going to do it. 
And in the end, it doesn't amount to a whole lot because it's all about you and it's all about what you can do. And here's a guy over here who's just, you know, nobody even knows he exists. He's just out there. He's not on Instagram. But man, he's sinking every basket. He's doing it. And I, it just struck me like, this is kind of this, this idea here, you know. There, there, it's a supernatural thing. Like Paul would say later, he said, one plants, one waters, God makes it grow. God makes it grow. I, I, I have had uh, the experience so many times of, of seeing this work out. You know, one of the reasons why, some people might wonder, um, you know, some of the things that we do, of course, we, we do evangelistic things. Um, you know, I was just in Scotland a few weeks ago and, you know, we set up in the city square in Dundee in this case, and there we are. And, you know, we're doing music and we're preaching the gospel and people are walking by and from all appearances, they couldn't care less that you're doing that. And in some cases, it seems like you're not even there. They don't even see you. And, you know, some would say, why are you doing that? That's a waste of time. And sometimes when you're doing it, you're asking yourself, why am I doing this? It seems to be a waste of time. So years ago, there was a couple in our church and they were great. They were amazing. And, you know, God just used them in so many different ways. And, and I was having a conversation with them one day and I just, for whatever reason, I just said, so what's your story? How did you even, you know, come to the Lord? And they said, oh, well, glad you asked. They said, well, years ago, we were, um, you know, we decided to go for a walk on Oceanside Pier one night or one afternoon. And as we were walking along, we saw this, you know, gathering down there. There's an amphitheater down there in Oceanside. And, you know, we saw that there are a crowd there. And so we sort of stopped. And, and we noticed that there was a guy that was talking and he was preaching from John chapter four, and he was talking about the woman at the well. And, and, and then they went on to say, and that just arrested us. That, that just, that caught our attention. And he, you know, presented this, this gospel message and we received Christ. And you were the guy that was preaching. <laughs> That's how we ended up at your church. And I was like, wow. Really? Because like I said, sometimes, you know, if you've tried to figure it all out, you think, are we even doing anything here? But that, that's what Jesus's whole point. Remember the seed, God's word has the life in it. And it's a supernatural thing. And, and God's at work. And so, you know, just a word of encouragement all we got to do is get the word out. You don't have to preach a sermon. You can preach a sermon if you get an opportunity to, but don't feel like you, you have to do that. Sometimes it's just, you know, it's just a word here or there. You know, like I mentioned, I was on a flight last night and, and you know, when I get onto the plane, you know, there's a different things that I do at times, but one of the things I just like to do is just pull out my Bible and open it up. Because the people sitting next to you are automatically going, oh my gosh, that guy has a Bible. What in the world is that? <laughs> <laughs> what 
what, what, what is he doing with that thing? And, you know, it might just lend itself to an opportunity to say, well, this is what I'm doing with it. So, so you know, again, Jesus is saying, we don't have to figure it all out. We don't have to know. We just have to do the one thing. Just be faithful. Get the word in you and then just let it flow out of you and trust God for the rest of it. Now, as the as we go on, he comes now to uh, the final parable that we're looking at here. And it's the parable of the mustard seed. And so he said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? And that's some of these parables are that. They're, this is what the kingdom of God is like. What shall we liken it to? And what parable can we use to illustrate it? And he said this, it is like a mustard seed which when it is sown in the ground is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air nest under its shade. So what is happening here? First of all, let me just say this. Some skeptics dismiss Jesus in the Bible because they look at this passage and they say, you know, Jesus... Uh, he thought the mustard seed was the smallest seed on earth, so he obviously can't be the son of God because the son of God would know that that's not the smallest seed on the earth. I can promise you Jesus knew that. Jesus didn't think this was the smallest seed on planet earth, but in the context that he was in, it was the smallest seed. It was, it was the smallest seed as far as they were concerned. But some people have said, Jesus said it was the smallest seed on earth. He was wrong. The Bible's not true. We can't trust it. Now, again, Jesus spoke like we all speak. He used hyperbole. He used figures of speech. He was going to make a point. To them, when you put that mustard seed in your hand, you could barely see it. So he didn't have to say, well, you know, this is almost the smallest seed on the earth, but did, did you, down in the Amazon, there's actually a smaller seed. You guys don't even know there's an Amazon, but I do because I'm God. Uh, you know, that wasn't what he was doing. So we don't, we don't have to get all worried about whether Jesus really knew uh, this stuff or not. He knew. Some people say he said it was the smallest seed on the earth. You know the word earth? can be translated a variety of ways. It's translated land. It's actually mostly translated land. It's also translated ground. So again, he wasn't thinking it was the smallest seed on planet Earth. He was illustrating the point. To them, this was the smallest seed. And it was the smallest seed, really, in the context of the herb gardens that they would have. And so this is the, the point, that this, this seed although it's so small, barely perceptible, even in your hand, it grows, not just like most herbs would do in a pot, but this thing will actually become like a tree. These, most people think it's a black mustard, nobody knows for sure, but you can find these uh, growing to 10 to 12 feet high, and yes, as Jesus said, birds would come and flock in it. But what's the point of the story anyway? The point of the story is this. The, what, the, the question is, what is the kingdom of God like? Now, remember what they thought the kingdom of God was like. They thought the kingdom of God was like instant. Messiah comes, 
he proves himself to the, the oppressing powers. He overthrows them. He conquers them. He sets up the Davidic kingdom and it's all good. It's all done. That's what they thought. That's what they expected. Jesus said, no, the kingdom of God is actually like this. The kingdom of God, uh, what he's telling them is it's going to be a process. And the process is going to begin almost imperceptibly. It's going to begin so small that no one would ever believe that it could become this thing that would encompass the whole world. And now if you think about it, that's really exactly what has happened historically. Now, all of this took place in the, in the Roman province of Syria. Syria was, uh, you know, there, there was nothing really desirable about Syria from the standpoint of the, of the emperors. It was just this backwater area that was always kind of problematic. So in other words, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't any place in the empire that anybody would expect any grand or wonderful thing to come out of. So, that is, so it's in the province of Syria. And, and then we think of Jesus himself. Where is Jesus born? He's born in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem had some notoriety back a long, long time ago because David was born there. But you know, by this time in history, Bethlehem was just was nothing. It would be like, you know, the birthplace of George Washington. You know, who even knows where he was born? Mount Vernon, I think. But, you know, who even knows or who even cares about that today? Nobody. Well, that's how Bethlehem was at the time. Jesus is born there. He's not even, he's not even born in Jerusalem. And then where does he grow up? He grows up in Nazareth. And we know what Nazareth was like because one of the disciples, when he heard that, uh, you know, they said, we found Jesus of Nazareth. He's the Messiah. And was Nathaniel or Philip said, Nazareth? Are you kidding? And his point was, there's no way. Nothing good could come out of Nazareth. And then Jesus chooses these 12 guys to be his apostles. And we looked at them recently, remember, in our study. When you saw those people and Jesus there sitting on one of those hillsides overlooking the the Sea of Galilee, there's not a single human being that would have said, these guys are going to change the whole history of the world. They would have never said that. This, This group is going to expand and one day it's going to encompass the whole earth. Nobody would have ever even begun to dream that. And then, of course, especially when the leader died. The leader died. And then they said he rose from the dead. And most people said, oh, come on, that didn't happen. But in in those early days, you know, I I was listening to a teaching yesterday from a seminar or something, uh, but but it was called, the, the title of the message was The Church in Her House. And the point that the man was making uh, was that in the the second century, two-thirds of the church were made up of women. And his point was to talk about the great influence of women in the early days of Christianity. But his point also was to talk about how women, uh, you know, were in that time in history um, just absolutely excluded from any and every 
you know, important thing that happened. And nobody, as a matter of fact, the, the early um, antagonist of, of the Christian faith would mock Christianity as a religion for women and children. And so that was, that was what it was. But now look at, here we are, 2,000 years later. And all over the world today, millions of people have gathered to worship Jesus. That's what the parable is talking about. Who would have ever imagined that? Who would have ever dreamed that? Now, just a quick note, because some of you will know this. Uh, some look at the parable and they see it not as the, uh, a positive expression of what is you know, going to come ultimately. Some people look at it and see it as negative. Um, the tree, you know, the, the, the mustard seed growing into a tree, they say that that's um, unnatural growth. The birds, they say, are symbolic of evil because the birds snatched away the seed in the first parable, and we know that the birds there represented Satan. So, this, so some people teach that this parable is actually teaching that the church would be corrupted. Now, the church did get corrupted, and it's still corrupted today. But, and, and some parables do teach that, but I don't think this parable is teaching it. But there are some that obviously do teach it, the wheat and the tares and the dragnet, some of the other parables that we have. They, they teach that because that is part of the history as well. But I think what Jesus is saying here is different. I think that he's telling them that the kingdom of God is not going to be like you think it is. It's, it's not going to come instantly. It's going to be through a process. And the reference to the tree, Ezekiel uh, speaks of kingdoms as like a great tree with animals under the, under, under the branches. Um, Daniel chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he has a dream and in the dream he is, or there's this great tree and all of the animals have come to find shelter under the tree. And Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, that's you, that's your kingdom. So it's, it's a reference to the kingdom. So this is what Jesus is saying. It's going to start small, almost imperceptibly, but it's going to grow and it's going to be, it's going to fill everything. And and that's how God's word is, as we were saying before. God's word comes in and sometimes almost imperceptibly. That's why I said earlier, as, as we just take it into our hearts and as we let it flow from us into somebody else's heart. Uh, there, there's those moments where it just, it's almost imperceptible. You don't, you don't even realize that anything happened. But it did happen. God, because God's at work. And so as we finish up here, and with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. And this is what I want to leave us with. Remember where we started. We started with being attentive to the word. We started with seeing that be careful how you hear. Make sure you're really listening. Make sure you're taking time. Like we said, if this is really God's word, then why would I not give it the highest priority? 
I mean, if this is really the eternal word of God, why would I not want to just saturate myself with this so I could know the things that God wants me to know? And, and then as I see here that, that my knowledge and my, the, the, the prospect of my knowledge increasing, it comes back to my own appetite. The greater appetite I have for the word, the greater the, the provision will be for my appetite. With the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. You know, sometimes, you know how like an appetite grows? You know, sometimes you have to get, you know, we use that term, you, you know, I don't have an appetite for that. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that you would probably either have experienced this or you know somebody that has, you know, something that you did not have an appetite for at a certain point in your life, but man, now you might even love it now. How did you get from that place to the other? Well, you probably just started eating it more frequently. And the more frequently you ate it, the more you developed an appetite for it. And now it's something that you absolutely love. It's something that you want. I remember my first trip to England and my first curry. I liked it. But I wasn't feeling like I got to have another one. But, you know, I kept going and having curry. And now the first thing I do when I get to England is have a curry. <laughs> because I love it. But I, I developed an appetite for it over the period of time. And so with God's word, and here's the key. And when they were alone, Jesus explained all things to his disciples. And this is what we encourage, and this is what we say so often, and this is what we do ourselves. We need to get alone with the Lord. Get alone with Jesus and this book. Make time for this, because the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. The more time you take, the more time you spend, the more time you get alone with the Lord, guess what? The deeper you're going to grow. You might even be wondering, like, you know, I'm a Christian, but why do I still have all these issues in my life? How come I'm not really changing? You know, so often that failure to, to change is connected back to a deficiency in a person's life regarding the word of God. See, it's God's word that changes us. It changes us from the inside out. It's supernatural, just like the seed. The seed goes in and it produces life. We don't know how. And, and again, for some people, they say, well, what is that going to do? What do you mean just reading the Bible? How's that going to help? It's going to help. I can't figure it out. But remember this, it's God's word. It's God's word. And God's life is in his word. And so he's going to take his word by his spirit, and he's going to cause it to work in your life, to permeate your life, and it's going to produce fruit. And that's going to overflow to others as well. So, Lord, we thank you for the reminders here of the power of your word, the impact of your word, and, Lord, the supernatural component that we're dealing with here, that there are things we don't know, but we've seen with our own eyes the impact and the power of your word. So 
Help us, Lord, to take heed what and how we hear. Help us, Lord, to really be attentive. Help us, Lord, to take the time necessary to invest in your word that everything that you want to bring out in our lives, the growth that you have planned, Lord, that we wouldn't miss out on that. That's our prayer. Amen.